We're going to take our offering right now. So we're going to just allow that to come forward. And it's good to see you today. Good to see so many faces. You're back from summer-ish. Uh, so good to see everybody. Um, if you're new, you can just let that go by. Um, it's just a way for people to um, support and to give and to worship with their finances in this way. There's many ways to uh, just open our finances up to what God wants to do. This is just one of them. Um, I need to let everybody know that the baby faucet has been turned on. <laughs> and um, this, this is little Layla Jane Murray. And she came this morning at 12.30 a.m. And um, for those of you who are new to our church, that is, um, we've been trying to find good visual descriptions of what's happening in our church. And there's a lot of babies coming. And this is the beginning of nine little babies we're praying for. And so, Layla Jane Murray. Um, and th- what, what a fitting start to our, our uh, baby tsunami because... Because, stop laughing, it's not that funny. No, really, because um, many of you know, if you've been around our church for a while, um, Brittany and Chris lost Abigail a year ago, May. So this is, uh, this is really good for them. We're really excited for them. Um, I didn't plan on doing that. So... <laughs> So excited for them. Hey, and, and here's the other thing that's really fun. Last week, we interviewed Ben Ewing, and he is watching us from, hopefully, he's testing this. Is this working, Trent? <laughs> almost. <laughs> almost. So Ben is, uh, I don't think he's going to get much out of this. He's on Valium and other things, but he is recovering from his hip surgery. So we're testing our video feed with Ben uh, for our brand new uh, mom's room that we're putting down the hall. So uh, very good stuff. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 8 today. We start a new series called The Struggle is Real. Um, I just want to make a blanket statement, a, a statement to start this all off. This might be a brand new thing for you to wrap around your mind, but there is evil in the world. And thank God there is also good. A few weeks ago, Angela and I went to uh, Grand Junction and Palisade to do some wine tasting and some peach eating and things like that. Beautiful part of our state. Driving around these little country roads, there's fruit stands, there's vineyards, it's beautiful, everything's flourishing, full of life. And it was was just a fun few days together. And then we drove home. And then since that time, the news has been full of Hurricane Dorian and um, drone attacks and all that fun stuff you read about in the news. And so there's evil out there. And then um, about a week ago, I mean, I just, I had a, I just had a rough day. It was, I was tired. I was all those things. And I snapped at my wife, Angela, and um, it wasn't a joyful day. 
and I realize, I'm reminded again that there's also evil in here. There's also dysfunction and twisted up in here. And because there's evil out there, and there's evil in here in my own soul, and I, for one, feel like there's this inner tug of war in my mind and my body. And, and for many of us, I think that, um, that many of us that find Jesus compelling, we have a hard time, I think, explaining um, some things, especially in the current of our kind of Western, secular, progressive view on evil, which um, maybe looks at evil as a lack of education or uh, maybe as an idea of a bygone era that's in the past. Um, And those thoughts about evil from kind of our culture, they they just feel like they fall flat. It's, it's really not the answer to our experience. And the solutions, really, I think that we get from our culture don't really work either. Now, here's what's interesting. Teachers of the way, teachers of following Jesus over the last millennia or two, have um, over and over again opened up a whole new lens on reality than I think you and I are used to looking at. And what, what do we do with good and evil? Where does it come from? And these followers of Jesus and these um, teachers of the way have actually used the concept of the three enemies of the soul. The flesh, the world, and the devil. As descriptors to or as handholds for us to figure out where does this come from. And it's this sense we all feel, and it's a very human experience, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, that there's, like, there's a fight or there's a war and there's something tugging at us and, 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 and we're always in combat with. And these ideas, actually, that these followers of Jesus, these teachers of the way have actually brought about are all come from Scripture. The library of Scripture talks about the flesh, the world, and the devil all through it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to explore that this fall. And it's going to be a series of talks from Sunday morning um, to kind of unpack some of this, really. But the goal is so that you and I would, as, as has been stated throughout history, that we would know our enemy. Like Sun Tzu's the heart of, art of war. We would know what we're up against, Right? Um, I think it's a Green Day song, too. But <laughs> know your enemy. And, and that we would un- unmask the strategy behind what is happening. Paul says, to, uh, as he writes, you know, in the New Testament, he says to fight the f- good fight of faith. That there's something that we're contending against. And so this morning, I thought, hey, let's just kick it off with the devil. Right? I mean, okay, here we go. John chapter 8. This is Jesus' magnum opus teaching on the devil. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, pay attention to that word, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, 
And, and by the way, he's, teach, he's talking to teachers of the law. He's talking to Pharisees. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I think we just sang that, did we not? Elliot, you're good. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it. I already read that. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. You are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what you have seen in my father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, which is Jesus for wrong answer, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. Now this is a, an innuendo and a subtle dig, at Je- not really subtle. This is an in-your-face dig at Jesus. Because for Jesus' life, most of the time, he was answering the whispery rumors that he was, had an illegitimate father. So basically, this should be translated, we are not bastards like you are. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own, God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. That's, you never want to hear that from Jesus. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? So welcome, welcome to church. <laughs> welcome to that uplifting passage from uh, Scripture. Um, now, I think that it's really important for us to start with Jesus' perspective. The first thing we need to understand is for Jesus, there is a devil. According to Jesus, in Jesus' worldview, there is a devil. This is um, the Greek word diabolos, where we get the word diabolical, uh, slander or accuser. One of the many names for the devil in the New Testament is for, for this creature that we read about all the way through the library of Scripture is the Satan the evil one, the tempter, the destroyer, all of these are titles, not names. They're not proper names. So in uh, much of Scripture, especially in the, in the Old Testament, ha-satan, or the adversary, or the accuser. Now, some scholars believe this is a subtle dig, that Jesus was never given a proper name. I mean, sorry, the devil was never given a proper name by Jesus or by anybody else as 
as he is um, just named after what he does. Um, three times in scripture, uh, the devil's called the ruler of this world. And in, in a few places, that word actually is archon, which is actually a political world, world, word, meaning the highest ranking military position in the world of spiritual forces. Much more about that down the road. But for today, I just want us to begin to see that for Jesus, the devil is real. Okay? For Jesus, this isn't a superstition. This isn't a cartoon character. This isn't Will Ferrell on Saturday Night Live. Um, If you've never seen that, go home and Google Will Ferrell, the devil. Okay? And and you're welcome. Um, He is, the devil is to Jesus, an invisible but real intelligence that is the evil behind the evil in our souls and in our society and behind the religious leaders of his day. Okay? So Jesus was not just confronting the religious leaders. He was confronting what was behind the religious leaders. So he does this in two different ways. He does this not only with the religious leaders. He he actually equates, he goes all the way back to Genesis 3 and he says the seed of the woman and and then um, the serpent and things like that. And he's basically calling them out and saying, the devil is your father, not Abraham. He also does this in other places with the Roman Empire. And we see this in scripture as well. Behind the evil of the Roman Empire is another evil. Okay? And so if you're here this morning, and this all sounds crazy. Like, I get it. Um you might be thinking to yourself, I'm really good with a lot of the things that Jesus says about loving neighbors and don't worry and things like that. Those are great things. But these are harder things to wrap my head around. You might be thinking to yourself, you know, we have Wikipedia now. We, we don't believe in things like this anymore. These are, um, this is like, we know better. Um, anybody in here familiar with the Flynn effect? A little bit, maybe? No? A guy named James Flynn wrote about the Flynn effect. The Flynn effect is his idea that we can trace back the IQ levels of, of generations past. And basically, his hypothesis was that now we have better IQs than we used to, and so we don't have to believe in stuff like this anymore. And ultimately, that was in the 80s, and it was just, it sent shockwaves through, uh, you know, the world and everything about it, this new kind of progressive way forward is really about intelligence, and if we just get more information, we'll be, we'll be better off. But ultimately, the Flynn effect got debunked, not only by um, other scholars, Malcolm Gladwell, people like that, but also actually, turns out James Flynn kind of returned and said, yeah, actually, this isn't really totally working out like I thought. And so, but we've, we come to this idea that we're actually, since we're smarter, we're more intelligent, uh, that, we, that we have this kind of like chronological snobbery, right? Then we don't believe in weird, superstitious stuff anymore. And so even for followers of Jesus, it's really hard to wrap our heads around the idea of the devil. It is. But here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Suspend judgment for a little bit. I want you to kind of set aside, just, just trust me that there might be 
some truth here if we begin to see the world through the way Jesus sees it. So all I'm asking you is to suspend judgment and open your mind to that possibility that, that, that Jesus might have a whole other lens on reality than we do. And that to be with Jesus and become like Jesus is actually partly to change our own mental maps. Second thing I think is really important, not only for Jesus, the first one was for Jesus, the devil was real. The second one is for Jesus, the end goal of the devil is to murder, is to steal, kill, and destroy, is destruction, is to tear it all down, is to burn this whole thing down. And, and, and this idea that the, Jesus, the, the devil is at war with God and war with God's vision for what a good and beautiful and true world should be. C.S. Lewis writes that there's no neutral ground in this. And so that's the reason why it feels like there's just this war zone happening all around our lives. And the third thing I think is really important is this. According to Jesus, the devil's strategy is lies and deception. Did you catch that? When Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, he called the devil the father of lies. That this is the, he, for Jesus, this is the origin point of deception. The origin point of lies. That the devil speaks his native language, which is lies. So for some of us who've grown up doing the church thing, for some of us, we feel like this is, um, this, this is spiritual warfare language, right? And I think what has passed as spiritual warfare in the church for many years is really at best conjecture and at worst kind of religious nonsense. And so, uh, for instance, um, I was, I was, it was a number of years ago and I was at church and I'm a pastor at a church and this guy comes up to me and he says, um, he says, I, 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 well, I said, how was your week? And he says, I was under attack from the devil. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> that sounds intense. What happened? And I kind of thought he was joking. And he said, I ordered three Christian CDs. And two of them came with broken cases. And I laughed. <laughs> loudly. But he was serious. It was a total pastor fail at that moment. Actually, the, the real pastor fail was to let him get away with thinking that actually was the work of the devil. But um, so, so here's the thing. So you may have driven to church today, got in a fight with your wife or your husband and or your kids, and um, man, man, the devil's really working. No, that's probably not Hasatan at work. It just is you're grumpy and a jerk. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to like, try to take some of the edge off some of this. Um, and sometimes we limit it. We limit this whole devil's at work thing to a horror movie 
or kind of like horror-ish images or whatever, um, or we blame the devil's work on everything. Can't find a parking place. Oh, the devil's really working. <laughs> no, there's just a lot of people going to the same place. So I, I don't want to like get you <laughs> weirded out here that we're going to start pointing fingers at things and, and all that kind of stuff. Here's what's so important. In Jesus, in Jesus' most in-depth teaching on the devil that we just read, he doesn't mention any of that stuff. There's no demons, there's no disease, there's no disaster. Instead, and hear this, this is really, really, really important. It's an intellectual debate with the leaders of the religious people of the religion, the, the leaders of the Jews over truth and lies. That's what it is. It's an intellectual debate over truth and lies. He says this in verse 44. We can throw that back up. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, but for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. So for Jesus, the devil is real. His strategy is, I mean, he is, his means is he wants to tear it all down, and his strategy is lies. And so for Jesus, it boils down to a fight to believe truth or lies. It's really what looks like Jesus is getting at right now with these religious leaders. And so are we tracking with that? Um, we're going to get nerdy and talk philosophy really briefly. Um, so I might butcher some things, but hopefully this is helpful and unlock some things. So to begin with, what is truth? And then this is like a very philosophical question. We're not going to go all through everything with it, but we're just going to throw a few things up on the screen. Truth is reality, meaning that which corresponds with reality, okay? So um, reality is what you run into when you're wrong, okay? So if you have a false idea of reality, so for instance, if you believe you can fly, and then you test that belief, and you climb up on your roof, and you jump off, when you hit the ground, that is when you correspond with, that's when you run into reality, okay? So that's kind of the idea behind this. And then lies are unreality. That's, that's which does not correspond to reality. So for instance, um, I think you guys get this. This isn't, we don't need to go all through this. So the reality is we all have mental maps. We all have me mental maps in our mind about what reality is, and, and we, we live our lives with those mental maps about what society looks like, or what family should look like. For instance, all of you have literal mental maps on how to get to work in the morning, right? Like some of you still get lost going to work, but some of you, like you know the, the, the different ways to get to work. And in your mind, okay, you could close your eyes and like drive that route to work. But if your mental map is true, okay, you're going to get to where you're going. If your mental map is not corresponding to reality, 
you end up lost, right? You end up somewhere other than where you intended to go. Same thing, same thing here for our lives. We all have mental maps. We all have mental maps for money, for sexuality. We have mental maps for power, romance, how our time should be spent, and, and, and the mental map on what life is all about, what the good life is, right? And some of those things, those mental maps, are collection of ideas. Ideas, we're still in the philosophy conversation, ideas are assumptions about reality. Does that make sense? That's what ideas are. Ideas are assumptions about reality, how life actually works, and what the route to happiness is in our life. So every day, you and I navigate a set of assumptions about reality in our life, about how money should work, how our, our, our world of assumptions about reality. Um, we, we navigate these all the time. And these ideas and assumptions coalesce to form a mental map on how we navigate our lives, how we navigate our day-to-day life. So ideas are assumptions about reality. So the wonder of the human mind, okay, is our ability, our innate God-given created ability to hold ideas in our mind and, you know, these, these ideas in our mind that correspond to reality and ideas that don't correspond to reality. Does that make sense? So this is what separates us from the animal world. It enables us to think spiritually. It enables us to think creatively. Think about it. As a group of people, we can, we can organize around a future, an idea about what the future looks like, right? And then the future uh, doesn't exist yet, but we can, we can envision it. We have an, a, a mental map, an idea, an assumption about reality that we can all work towards. Animals don't do this. I mean, there's some innate stuff in them, yes. But we can work to bring the future to pass. This is why creativity is such a beautiful thing. You can envision a painting in your mind or a song, or, or you, can, you can envision the building or, or create a system of process in your mind. And because you are a human being, you can then use your body to make that a reality. Tracking? So it's a good thing, right? We can have an idea, an assumption about reality in our mind, and then we can carry it out. But here's the, here's the tragic Achilles heel to it. Not only do we have the capacity to create and bring things from an idea into reality, we also have the capacity to believe ideas that are not true of reality, that do not correspond to reality, and then bring those into our lives as well. Dallas Willard said, we live at the mercy of our ideas. Our ideas about God, about humanity, about sexuality, we live at the mercy of those. And tragically, some of our ideas or our assumptions about reality give shape to to what we do with our bodies. So what we believe becomes something that we become. Does that make sense? So when we believe truth, we show up in our bodies well. 
We show up in our relationships well. We show up in our work well. We show up in our sexuality well. With God's perfect creation idea and intention for us, human flourishing. But when we believe lies, we allow, and we allow those lies into our bodies, we open up our whole person to the poison that Jesus talks about in this world. So this is the idea behind this. The cold, hard truth is that our mental maps, the collection of our ideas that we navigate life by are often wrong. They're often wrong, and they lead us not to life but to death. So philosophy class over. Back to the devil. Jesus calls the devil a liar. Case study of the devil's strategy is a story from Genesis 3. We're going to get into that story quite a bit. This is a two-part thing. We're going to get into that story quite a bit next week. But for now, some of you are probably familiar with the story of the talking snake. And whether you believe that is mythology or history really doesn't matter at this point. What we need to understand, okay, we don't need to go into that debate with you. What we need to understand is it's true of the human condition. The idea behind it is true of the human condition. So remember, the snake, if you're familiar with the story, doesn't come at Eve with a stick or a sword or a drone, but with an idea. That's what the snake, that's what the serpent, that's what the deceiver comes with, an idea. A lie. An assumption about reality that it is not true. And then Eve takes that idea into her body and acts upon it. Psychologist M. Scott Peck, he wrote... Uh, back in the 80s, you might be familiar with a book he wrote called The People of the Lie, which was actually a groundbreaking book because he's a psychologist and he's doing something that you're not supposed to do in the scientific community, and that is make value judgments. And he studied what makes people evil. Are there actually evil people? Are you guys familiar with M. Scott Peck at all? Some people in the room, some people have read some stuff about him. Um, and he wrote this groundbreaking book because basically he came out and said, Yes, there are evil people in the world. And everyone was like, oh, you can't say that. And like followers of Jesus were like, yeah, pretty true. But it's fascinating because I kind of went back and, and thumbed through some of his, his writing. And he calls the devil a real spirit of unreality. And his thesis on how people turn evil is that when people believe ideas that do not correspond with reality and then live out those ideas in their body, they live as if that lie is true. They create a new reality out of unreality. Case in point. Say, for instance, you think the thought or you hear a lie somewhere in your life that you are unlovable. 
that whether you hear that from somebody that's a family wound, a family of origin thing, in that moment, that is not true of you. It is a lie. But if you believe it, and you begin to take that into your life and into your person, and you begin to live as if that is true of you, it begins to color all of the relationships you have in your life, your friendships, your your, your dating relationships, your, your relationship with your parents and your children, if that, be, if that begins to manifest itself in your, that lie manifests itself in your life, tragically, what can happen, not all the time, but what can happen, it can become true of you. It actually can ruin you on the inside, the, all the insecurities, all the doubt, all the fear, all of that, and you become the kind of person that ultimately is not that lovable by most per- people. Until and if you are set free by Jesus. I mean, this is part of the reason why, as followers of Jesus, we're called to pursue those on the margins, those who are, feel like they're the most unlovable, like to, to change the narrative in our bodies with them, like to to pursue them, to chase them down, to love them, even when they're difficult to love. Now, here's another idea. If you believe the lie that you are an animal with time and chance on your side, that's kind of like the secular narrative right now, that sexuality is just an animalistic impulse, that that gender itself is just a construct to oppress you and to, you know, so just to throw all that off. If you believe that is true... And if a society begins to believe that is true, over time, what do you get? You get the Me Too movement. You get a whole society that is just like coming awake to how depraved we are. And it's exactly what we see all the way back in Genesis. The devil's go-to strategy is that of lies. It's an idea that doesn't correspond with reality. So next week, we're going to dig into Genesis 3. But I just wanted to give us a little bit of a thesis on where we're going. I know that sounds nerdy, but the devil's strategy, I'm going to throw this on the screen, is deceitful ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. Let me unpack that a little bit. This is kind of our working line through the next few weeks. Deceitful ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. What are deceitful lies? They're not just lies that have no emotional value. So if someone was to come up to me or you and say, Elvis Presley is alive. Believe it. Like, believe it. He's alive. Like that, that carries no emotional value to me, right? I don't care. I could care less, actually. Um, but something hits me in a way that hits that kind of the root wound in me. That's where I'm susceptible. So deceitful lies that play to disordered desires. This is where, this is the idea of the flesh that we're going to get into. Okay. This is what scripture calls the flesh. Most of the time, um, this is where kind of our disordered desires, you understand what those look like. Um, it's not when you do evil. 
It's when you want to do evil. It's that part of you. I know this is going to sound kind of goofy, but that whole cartoon image of the, the angel and the devil, the demon on the shoulder kind of thing, and they're both talking in your ear, and this idea that, like, I want to do this, but I also want to do this, and I know this isn't wrong, this is wrong, but, uh, and I'm, you just feel like you're being pulled in different ways. You want to do both at the same time. It's what Romans 8, Paul says in Romans 8. It's just none of us sin. Here's the thing. None of us sin out of duty and self-discipline. Okay, this is going to sound super crude, but I just, this is really, this is what came to me as an idea. No one sins out of uh, uh, duty and self-discipline. It's not like it's seven o'clock, I have it in my calendar, it's time to lust. <laughs> no one does that. It's like, man, I've worked hard. This is hard work to lust. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it in my calendar, set aside some time, This is crude, I know. But you get what I'm saying. We sin because we believe a lie about what will make us happy. And we confuse pleasure and happiness, and the two are not the same. And that's what kind of hits us in the flesh, and we'll get into that in the weeks to come. Um, And then this idea, it's all normalized in a sinful society. What the New Testament calls the world, what we sometimes call culture, Um, The world is a system, really, is a system of ideas that are institutional evil, okay? So it's not just the the evil in me, okay, but it's also this evil in the systems of the world. So entertainment, economics, government, technology, the church. Okay, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to a group of religious people that have made an institution about how oh, keep power and you shouldn't say that. And blah. It, it, it's what Jesus is like. He's pushing up against this power, this, this thing that made its way into the church. It became a disordered desire. It pulled everything. It's, it's, it's the religious leaders at the temple. How does the devil ruin the church from the inside out? With ideas. That's how. Ideas are the primary MO, not just for you, but for society as a whole. Think about this, case in point, Nazi Germany. I know we always pick on Nazi Germany, but this is really important, okay? If you've never read, if you're not a history person, that's fine, I get it. One of the most fascinating books I ever read was The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. And I can tell you funny stories about trying to read that on the beach with a giant swastika on it. It was awkward. Anyhow... It's a long book. It's a big book. But we forget. Germany, before World War I, World War II, Germany was like at the apex of human civilization. Art, architecture, uh, music, composers, theology. If you spend any time studying theology, you were going to spend some time with some German theologians who shaped a lot of how we read scripture. And there's, you know, obviously you have the Reformation and all that kind of stuff that happened largely in Germany as well. But think about this, decades ahead of of Western civilization, and then you have in just a few decades leading up to World War I and World War II, an entire society was destroyed from the inside out by ideas. By ideas. Deceitful ideas about race, ethnicity, nationhood, 
played to disordered desires for power, control, domination. Normalized in a sinful society to where you had much of the church sucked into that. Read the Bartman Confession. Read, um, there's so much to read. I mean, uh, Bonhoeffer. Over, there's so much to read about this. Think about ISIS. People do what they believe to be moral, not immoral. And we look at, from the outside looking in, we think, oh, ISIS is immoral. But people do what they do because they think it is, they don't do it what they do because they think it's immoral and don't care, but they, they think it's moral and they do care. That's why people, these ideas that come through all these big systems in our world, all the way back to Eden itself, to self-define good and evil based on our disordered, disordered desires rather than God's vision for human flourishing. That's at the root of all this. All sin is first and foremost about what you believe is true. What is the path to the good life? So the problem is easy to spot in other societies, in other groups, but it's really spot, hard to spot right here with us. It's really hard to spot. And there's ideas around us that are toxic. Um, this is the idea of re- the redefinition of freedom, where the classical and Greek and Christian idea of freedom was freedom from, freedom from slavery, freedom from oppression, things like that, got kind of mixed up and jacked up. And really, our founding fathers have a lot to do with this. <laughs> freedom from Freedom for uh, the, uh, the right to happiness, right? It's in our Declaration of Independence. No one can get in the way of my happiness. I'm free from your, you know. And so we have this boiling up in our culture, in, in our, just in our Western American democratic feel, like we have freedom for anything. I can do whatever I want. Freedom is for something. It's not from something. And it's redefined us. And the, the thing is, the scripture tells us that freedom, freedom for anything you want is actually slavery. And we're going to get into that down the road. The redefinition of everything in our culture. Sexuality, individualism. I'm an island. You, don't ha- you, you, don't, you, don't, you can't bother me. I can stick to myself. All these are ideas that keep millions of people in slavery. And some of us as well. Dallas Willard said this as we start to land the plane here. Ideas are the primary stronghold of evil in the human self and in society. And I love this next one. Winston Churchill says, the empires of the future will be empires of the mind. This is why you cannot defeat. This is why we'll never win the war on terror. I'm just going to throw that out there. You might hate me for it. We're never going to win it. Jihad is an ideology, and you can't beat it by droning it. (laughs) You just add fuel to the fire. This is the biggest piece that we need to understand, ideas. The devil's strategy is deceitful ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is why Jesus came as a teacher. This is why Jesus came as a teacher. 
calling for apprentices to repent and believe. Repent, we think, is this really like, you know, feel shame and hurt yourself kind of thing. No, repent means to change your mind about what is true and believe. To change your mental maps, to exchange your mental map for Jesus. Mental map. To take on his vision of reality, not yours. To trade your mental map for his mental map. That is why he came as a teacher. Not as a general of an army. That is why Jesus called for apprentices, not soldiers. Check out John chapter 18 as we finish up. This is, so the first part, John 8 was the teaching on um, the devil. And then this is Jesus before Pilate. He's been arrested. Listen to this. It says, Pilate then went back inside the palace. And he was just talking to religious leaders and the Jewish people. He summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? (laughs) Jesus does something so ninja here. He says, is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? Pilate replied, am I a Jew? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to what? The truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is the truth? On trial, Jesus was a threat to the Roman Empire. He was just hilarious because he was a pacifist. I mean, look at Sermon on the Mount. I mean, he's just like clearly... Love your enemies. You know, he's just so over and over again. And he says, I've come to testify to the truth. And here's the interesting thing. They couldn't get their mental map of a king out of their mind. Their mental map, their idea of what a king was, uh, for not only Pilate, but for for the Jewish people, was synonymous as a warrior at the head of an army. That was their mental map of what a king was. From Peter to Pilate, waiting for Jesus to rally an army and defeat people. Jesus comes in the Sermon on the Mount as a nonviolent pacifist. Jesus is a warrior, but he radically defines what that war is. He redefines what the war is. For Jesus, the real enemy was not Rome, not the corrupt temple aristocracy. The real enemy was the world, the flesh, and the devil behind it all. So most quotes from prophecy in the New Testament writers, most of them come from Psalm 110. I encourage you to go read Psalm 110. Look, it's angry, it's bloody, and it's about Jesus. (laughs) It's like, what? And Jesus radically redefined who the enemy was. So when Paul says, we're not fighting the... the, uh, flesh. We're not fighting people. We're, we're not fighting flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. Jesus's weapon wasn't a sword or a chariot. It was truth. 
Jesus' means wasn't courage on the battlefield. It was self-sacrificial love, even unto death. And so, it is by lies that you and I are enslaved. It is by truth that we are set free. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's saying, I am the reference point for all of reality. And all of this... All of this means fighting for you and I, contending is about the fight to believe truth or lie. The fight to take truth or lies into our lives, to internalize the truth of Jesus over lies. Because lies have zero power over us until we believe them, until we make them reality. The usual suspects. Greatest line. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. So this morning, as we just begin, this is beginning times. And some of you are like, okay, that stirred up a whole lot of crazy for me. Keep coming. We're going to keep chewing on this and seeing where this leads us. For this week, I want you to pay attention to the ideas and the assumptions about reality that you've taken into your life. Whether it be about economics or the suburban life or what you need, what you think you need to be happy. And run that through the grid. Is this truth or is this a lie?